I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this episode number 55 of Socialist News and Views, our regular February 2024 episode. In the second part of the show, we will talk with Shane from Twin Cities Democratic Socialists of America Steering Committee about crafting a new socialist narrative for our new Minnesota state flag. But we start with news Georgia Fort media professional star keeps rising is the title of an article on the Minnesota spokesman recorder. The article from Abdi Muhammad on February 9th says that Fort never imagined her career would go in the direction it did saying, quote, she is now an Emmy award winning producer and an independent journalist, end quote. It says she started at the KUST college radio station at St. Thomas University. Fort went to KMOJ, known as the People's Station, and then eventually moved to the state of Georgia to work. It says scheduling conflicts led her back to Minnesota, where she took a job in Duluth. But, quote, it wasn't until 2020 that Fort felt called to her purpose once again. With the murder of George Floyd sparking civil unrest and global outcry, Fort knew that she had to report to her community what was happening in real time, end quote. Fort founded BLCK Black Press in 2020 and in early 2023 launched her Here's the Truth on CW Twin Cities. The article says she still continues to nurture young journalists through the Center for Broadcast Journalism, CBJ, which she launched with a partner in 2022. Caitlin Vu writes for Sahan Journal February 8th, an article entitled Minneapolis City Council will consider safe outdoor spaces, public health response to homeless encampments. It reads, quote, Minneapolis City Council members voted on Thursday to begin crafting three proposed ordinances to change the city's approach to homeless encampments. This comes after the city evicted Camp Ninakasi in South Minneapolis three times between January 4th and February 1st, forcing camp residents to relocate each time, end quote. The article says the ordinances, including one that will provide, quote, safe outdoor space, end quote, or, quote, individualized outdoor shelter options, end quote, for unhoused community members. Another would provide health and sanitation supplies to encampments, and another would require detailed reports on what happens to unhoused folks in the camps. A related story under that is titled, Minneapolis Awards $1 million contract to for-profit group to house Ninakasi residents and says Minneapolis is bypassing Hennepin County and instead going to a private group to solve the issue. The article was republished from the Star Tribune and was by Susan Dew. February 9th, Socialist Action has an article with the title, Minneapolis City Council Overrides Veto of Strongest Ceasefire in Gaza Resolution. It's by Olivia Rosana and reprinted from Common Dreams. But with an additional editor's note that says that the resolution is the result of growing mass pressure but says the portion of the resolution that calls the Hamas attack, quote, unacceptable and recognizes, quote, the right to self-determination and peaceful, safe future for both Palestinian and Israeli people, end quote, is a serious error since it says the Palestinians have a right to fight back as the oppressed people against a colonial settler state of Israel, which it says has no such right. The article says Minneapolis is joining 60 plus other cities in passing a ceasefire resolution. The others include San Francisco, Chicago, Oakland, Atlanta, Seattle, Detroit, Dearborn, Albany, Akron, Providence, and others. 
Rosanna writes that supporters in Minneapolis say the ceasefire resolution in Minneapolis goes farther, however, saying, quote, the Minneapolis chapter of the Council on American Islamic Relations also called it the strongest such resolution in the nation. And University of Minnesota Students for a Democratic Society said it was the only one to call for an end to USAID to Israel, end quote. People's World on February 9th has an item by Mark Grunberg and John Wojcik. AFL-CIO calls for ceasefire in Gaza. It says the statement issued on February 8th by the AFL-CIO called for, quote, a negotiated ceasefire in Gaza, end quote. The article highlights that the AFL-CIO is, quote, the nation's largest labor federation representing some 12 million workers in almost every industry, end quote. It says the federation statement, quote, also condemned the attack on Israel by Hamas and demanded that desperately needed food, shelter, medicine, and other assistance be provided to the people of Gaza, end quote. This statement, it says, also emphasizes a need for a two-state solution for Israel and Palestine. It also says of many other unions also issuing calls, saying, quote, the communication workers, the auto workers, National Nurses United, the postal workers, the service employees who are not a federation member, and the National Writers Guild also demand a ceasefire. Like AFL-CIO, most do not mention a military aid cutoff, however, end quote. Toward a Free Palestine, a Tempest Collective editorial is also posted February 7th, which you can read on tempestmag.org. What are the lessons from South Africa's anti-apartheid struggle for Palestine is a feature on February 11th, which you can check out on socialistworker.co.uk. Now more on labor. Sarah Lazar writes January 31st, an article titled The UAW Strike Saved Their Shuttered Plant, but the fight is just beginning. The article is co-published by Workday Magazine, and in these times, the subtitle for the article says, quote, the revival of the Stellantis plant is a stunning reversal of fortunes for Belvedere, Illinois, but workers say they won't rest until they see the concrete being poured, end quote. It says that Stellantis announced at the end of 2022 that the Belvedere, Illinois plant that made Jeep Cherokees would be quote, permanently idled. They also speak with a 10-year employee of the plant who was officially laid off in September 2023, but it says, quote, then something stunning happened. UAW's strike resulted in a 2023 contract that says Stellantis must reopen the plant to produce mid-sized trucks by 2027, though the language does not specify how many jobs will be created. And there's more. Stellantis also committed to locating a parts distribution hub, as well as a brand new electric vehicle battery plant in Belvedere, end quote. But again, the article cautions that while employees and local union leadership have it in writing, quote, we will only believe it when we see the dirt being moved and the concrete being poured, end quote. J.C. Bankston, the worker who had 10 years at the plant and 24 as an auto worker, says, quote, now the real work begins, getting them to follow through, end quote. A socialist, feminist, anti-racist organization, Solidarity, has an article by Dan Labatz on February 10th titled The New U.S. Labor Movement. It's based on notes from the New Labor Movement section Labatz took at the Marxist List Forum on February 3rd. It says U.S. labor is leaving a stagnation period, which it says went from 1980s to the 2010s and into a new period of, quote, dynamic change and says, quote, the new labor activism has been accompanied by new social movements from Black Lives Matter to the new Palestinian Solidarity Movement. At the same time, the far right has been actively fighting progressive ideas and policies from local library and school boards to judicial appointments and elections at all levels, led by Donald Trump and his political allies. They're preparing an executive 
and legislative program to suppress the rights of workers, minority groups, women, LGBTQ plus people, and immigrants. So this moment opens both progressive possibilities and reactionary dangers, end quote. The article calls the new labor leaders a, quote, mixed bag in one of its subtitles and says, while many left and class conscious workers would like to see the creation of a labor party, no such discussion is happening seriously inside the unions. While it says young radicals are active in the labor unions in their hundreds, it says, quote, still, the left in the unions is not large enough or coherent enough to actually lead any important unions or workers movements, end quote. It makes the case for possibilities of a large labor upsurge, but also a political crisis with Trump leading domestic right-wing repression and reaction. You can read more at solidarity-us.org. Internationally, A World in Crisis, Why We Need a Revolutionary Change by Tom Crean is published February 1st on Socialist Alternative. Crean says in a subheading that we are seeing a, quote, crisis on steroids, end quote, ending the section, quote, from climate to imperialist competition to economic friction, all of these major factors exist, not just in tandem, but as forces that reinforce each other and create unpredictable and sometimes catastrophic outcomes. In turn, this is impacting mass consciousness and laying the ground for major political shifts, end quote. Crean says we must understand the massive contradictions facing society. We must also, he says, realize, quote, where we are in history, to quote another subheading. Current problems cannot be understood outside of the, quote, context of the crisis of neoliberal globalization and the beginning of the new era of global disorder, end quote. Ultimately, it says the revolutionary task is to gather forces, quote, around an internationalist perspective and a clear program, end quote, and using a flexible approach, show the potential as well as the dangers ahead. You can read more on socialistalternative.org. Otto Fors and R.F. Landers write for Left Voice, an article titled Crisis for Javier Millet as Austerity Bill is Defeated. That article from February 9th says, quote, this week in Argentina, members of Congress voted on the highly repressive omnibus bill proposed by far-right President Javier Millet. After a general strike and four days of massive mobilization, the bill was withdrawn. It's a huge victory for the working class and the movement in the streets, end quote. It says the bill included massive privatizations and layoffs and labor reforms, among other anti-worker austerity measures. It says the measures were unpopular, but it was the movements that stopped them and goes on to end, quote, to continue to fight back the right and protect the rights of workers and the oppressed. The mass movement must keep organizing from below, refusing to put their faith in the union bureaucracies and lesser evil politicians, which attempt to rein in the mobilizations, end quote. You can read more on leftvoice.org. February 9th, in defense of Marxism, published an item from Revolutionary Communist Party Switzerland with the title, Swiss Capitalist Press Stunned as Revolutionary Communist Party Launched. It says the launch by The Spark, the Swiss section of the international Marxist tendency, was covered by all the bourgeois press with titles such as, Revolution in Switzerland is Completely Realistic, Lenin to Rise Again in Switzerland, and Revolution as the Target, 250 New Communists Wanted. You can read more at Marxist. In Europe, platform workers are winning limited protections, appears on Jacobin February 11th by Ben Ray. It says platform workers across Europe have won a series of court cases now classifying them as employees, but while no longer listed as self-employed, legislation across the EU has faced lobbyist pushback. But those workers now seem set to see some new protections. You can read more on Jacobin.com. And... 
Tanya Priya Singh writes for People's Dispatch on February 10th about the Democratic Republic of Congo, writing in a subheading, quote, attacks by the Rwanda-backed M23 has led to another wave of mass displacement in the province of North Kivu. The rebel group has tried to make advances towards the provincial capital of Goma, attacking the town of Sake, which lies just 25 kilometers away. And quote that in an article titled Thousands Forced to Flee in DRC's North Kivu province as M23 attacks intensify, which says that 150,000 plus people have been displaced, including at least 78,000 children. You can read more on peoplesdispatch.org. Recent protests in Democratic Republic of Congo accused Western governments of being involved in the conflict. Here's a brief clip which aired on Democracy Now! of a protester on the street in DRC. We are claiming our rights. France and the United States are fostering the war in the eastern DRC by supporting the rebellion. A country like Rwanda cannot fight against the Democratic Republic of Congo. We are marching. We are not breaking or destroying people's property. But the head of the police is sending his officers to chase us away. And now we go to a break with a poem. It appeared December 1st, 2023 on Monthly Review. It's by Arson, an anonymous poet. And here is read by The Big Bad Me. Here's the poem, Heaven is a Place on Earth. Let's build a place. Let's build a place like all the other places, with tall buildings like all the other places with tall buildings, and crowded streets like all the other places with tall buildings and crowded streets. Let's build a place with high rent like all the other places with tall buildings and crowded streets and high rent. Let's put the poor on the street like in all the other places with the tall buildings and the crowded streets and the high rent. They put the poor on the street. Let's put the poor on the street. That's how you stop people from being poor in the first place. They'll get a job. Oh, let's build a place with jobs. They can go in the tall buildings, like they have in all the other places with the jobs in the tall buildings and the crowded streets and the high rent and someone begging on the sidewalk while you go to work and cops. Let's build a place with fine dining, gold-crusted hors d'oeuvres, and wine from some other place that is kind of like this place. Kind of like the ones they have in all the other places that are like this place. With the jobs, and the restaurants, and tall buildings, and the crowded streets, and the high rent, and someone starving on the sidewalk while you go to dinner. And cops. Lots of cops. Let's build a place with luxury condos that the rich can come visit occasionally, or sell for a profit. Those can go in the tall buildings too, like how they are in all the other places that are like this place, with the jobs and the restaurants and luxury condos in tall buildings and the crowded streets and the high rent and someone passed out on the sidewalk while you go to bed, and cops, lots and lots of cops. Let's build a place with politicians and leaders, like they have in all the other places that are like this place with the jobs and the restaurants and luxury condos and tall buildings and the crowded streets and the high rent and someone passed out on the sidewalk while you go to work and cops, lots and lots and lots of cops. Those places have politicians and leaders. It's nice because they can reassure people. The buildings are natural. The traffic is minimal. The rent is reasonable. That person wasn't dead on the sidewalk. The food is filling. The views are to die for. And we need more cops.
Again, that was written by Arson and read by the big bad me. And now we turn to an interview I did with the author of an article from TwinCitiesDSA.org called What Meaning Will We Give the New State Flag? Here's the interview. Yeah, so on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Do you want to just tell listeners who you are? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name's Shane. Uh, in my free time, I'm a steering committee member of uh, Twin Cities chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, for my day job, I'm a procurement assistant at a local technical college. Fantastic. Yeah, you uh, you recently wrote an article for the Twin Cities DSA uh, Democratic Socialists of America website called What Meaning Will We Give the New State Flag? Um, do you want to just quickly talk about what you wrote and you know what it was that inspired you to to write that post? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so I wrote an article expressing two points. Uh, the first, that symbols such as flags are important for organizing and gain their meaning and capacity to reflect uh, emotions and messages through the material conditions and impactful events associated with them. So therefore, uh, the new Minnesota flag uh, can therefore essentially become a progressive or even hopefully a socialist symbol in our Minnesota context uh, should we continue winning progressive and socialist victories in the state. And if we choose to purposefully incorporate uh, it, it in a socialist messaging. And why I wrote it uh, was twofold. Uh, the first is I was just excited about the state flag competition. I was following that closely. You know, our current flag is ugly, racist garbage. So I was really interested to see what came out of that. Sure. And the second uh, right. is because of just the absolute fit that Minnesota conservatives have been throwing about this as they try to craft a narrative of the current flag is some proud form of Minnesota conservative resistance, which right. in a way is already creating a narrative of this new flag as a symbol of some sort of local Minnesota progressivism. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's like they didn't care about the flag at all before uh, they never mentioned the flag or thought about the flag. Nobody was talking about the flag. So it's obviously, yeah, it's clearly a reaction to the flag uh, that was brought forward. Now, do you, do you, you know, do you see other places you know, a similar situation to the flag where we could better, you know, as you say in the in the article, build a narrative of a new and better Minnesota, a socialist Minnesota uh, will not only have land and governance power returned to our indigenous neighbors, but also will have our government and economy subordinated to the working class as a whole. Do you see other symbols or other things that we could uh, could kind of take on in this way in a better way? Yeah, I think it just like a more general sense organizing wise, like uh, firstly, I think leftist messaging in the state um, needs to or at least can focus on the goal of transforming our state and institutions here uh, into that leftist uh, local government that we wish to seek. Um, and I think this would be a good narrative anchor for the Minnesota left as a whole. I think we should always be seeking to convince the public at large that we on the left and our indigenous uh, neighbors and allies have the best vision for a new and decolonized Minnesota and that we're the ones actively taking power uh, and building towards that. I, I think this would be a valuable anchor. And, you know, this can be just this can be for elections, certainly, but also outside of elections. Um, you know, any campaign that builds uh, multiracial working class power, you know, I think we can use uh, Minnesota flag and other state symbols uh, to help uh, reinforce our messaging. Uh, secondly, I think we can build these narratives and seize these narratives better by uh, increasing the amount of coalition building leftist organizations are doing as opposed to you know either open sectarian fighting or just regular old organizational organizational siloing right. i think a few larger campaigns around unified 
messages and narratives is a lot stronger than dozens of diffuse and smaller, uh, you know, campaigns, symbols. They don't really generate narrative as much. Yeah, I think I see that as far as like, I think about Minneapolis specifically sometimes like, um, you know, really it should be, could be, you know, like uh, an example of how to uh, essentially build a green city. You know, I mean, that could be like, uh, you know, a core goal for the city of Minneapolis. And we could even, uh, you know, we could even get a few of the powers that be on board until we, uh, you know, move things fully in the direction that they, uh, uh, that they need to go. I mean, I think, you know, I think that would be, I, th I think that would be a, a totally uh, plausible uh, thing to build, you know, to, to, to fight for that as um, you know, I think, I think housing is a huge issue. So obviously that, but I mean, if we took that initiative of housing and, you know, built uh, green housing, uh, you know, sustainable housing and stuff like that as the, uh, as you know, as the core element of that, I see that in the Minneapolis context as well. I wanted to just, this wasn't in what I sent you, but I, uh, I, I said, I'd bring it up. I um I had a couple uh, people that I saw discussing the flag. They saw somebody had actually put a flag up on their house uh, in the neighborhood. I won't say who they are, but <clears throat> one of them said, uh, you know, th there's been a lot of discussion about the flag, both, both good and bad, both on the left and right, I think. And, um, you know, these are both working class folks. But uh, they somebody said it feels like they took several bland designs, picked the blandest, and then made it even more bland. And then the other person responded, I mean, that's flags. You can either go simple like Minnesota did uh, and most country flags do or go more complex, which most U.S. state flags do. And they're extremely tedious and therefore nobody uses them. People use the flags of D.C., Chicago, Texas, Colorado, because they are simple yet symbolic. So, I mean, I think I kind of know which uh, which side of that discussion you come down on. But what do you say to people when they say, you know, stuff about how it's boring or it's bland or any of that stuff? Do you ever have... Uh, do you have occasion to talk to people in that sense or have them uh, bring up those issues with you? Yeah, certainly. I had a lot of uh, fun and sometimes even intense debate with other <laughs> friends and comrades about the flag. Like, I, I will be honest, um, it's not my favorite design that came out of this, but it is growing on me. Sure. Um, I would have appreciated a little more complexity, but I, I do also veer away from like the over complex flags. I do think it needs to be pretty uh recognizable you know it shouldn't have too much granular data because you know it's flying up high so you, you right. can't really appreciate all of that so simple does lend better to symbolism i think in the in these contexts uh, but could it have been better yeah it, you know it's certainly no laser loon <laughs> yeah i was i i was uh i was kind of into it i liked it when i had the the three colors the uh what was that the <clears throat> white blue and green i believe Mm -hmm. uh, was out was and then they took that off that was kind of unfortunate but i agree with you i think it's you know i think it's growing on me um it's like you know i say to people yeah could it have been better yes could it have been a lot worse <laughs> yes absolutely it could have been a lot worse um you know like just imagine if the conservatives that are raving about the old flag were you know in charge of designing some new flag uh it, i'm sure it could be uh uh pretty bad um you know, I I, uh, <clears throat> I just wanted to uh, finish up. You know, I think I think the symbolism piece is really uh, is really important. And yeah, that was why I reached out about the article. I don't think that gets uh, discussed as much as it should. And I think, do you think? Um, you know, I, I guess this wasn't in there either. But I mean, what? How do you think we can um, do that? That you're talking about? I mean, obviously by 
you know, making Minnesota the center of a, you know, of a political movement, which I think we, we all support. I mean, should people, you know, should we be like bringing the Minnesota flag out on marches and stuff? I mean, is that, would that, would that kind of like solidify it as part of like the, uh, you know, socialist movement or progressive movement? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, certainly. I think narratives are what you make them. So I definitely think we could take the new Minnesota flag and pair it with local messaging, you know, and doing that by flying it, maybe in conjunction with local uh, leftist flags, you know, let the red flag and the new Minnesota flag fly together and, you know, tie that with whatever messaging you want. Um, I think it certainly can be done. And I don't, I don't think the left should um, cede ground um, to liberals or conservatives to generate whatever narratives they want about um, these symbols and these opportunities. So I definitely think it can be done. And yeah, the first step I would say is to fly it more and really just be out and proud about the most socialist visions of Minnesota that we can generate around it. Um, if nothing else, do it just to piss off conservatives. Right. And I mean, it doesn't have that, you know, it doesn't have that history attached to it, you know, going forward. It is, like you said, it's what we make it. And I like that, that term, that's the term I think I was kind of looking for in there is, you know, don't seed ground. And I think, you know, more and more, I think, you know, that's, that's always an issue constantly, you know, some, some thing or something that we're using all oh, the, you know, there's a sense, oh, it's conservative or oh, it's too liberal. We should just like ditch it or whatever. But I think, you know, especially if we have, if we have the numbers and we have the strength, I mean, we shouldn't be seeding that ground. We should like, you know, we should take that on we should take up that space. And I think we should do the same thing with the flag that we should, uh, you know, like you said, get out there and um, get ahead of the narrative and, and, and really build that up as, you know, Minnesota as a place that, uh, you know, uh, essentially represents the future. And that future is a socialist future with uh, workers in control uh, of the economy and uh, workers in control of their own lives. So, well, I really appreciate you speaking me, uh, speaking with me. Is there anything else that you want to, uh, share or anything else that you want to say, uh, or anything else you want to plug before you go? Yeah, certainly. You know, the first, you know, I just want to thank you for having me on. Um, and to any listeners, you know, just as a local leftist organizer, just trying to do my part, I want to encourage all listeners to try to get involved with their local leftist organization, no matter what that would be. Obviously, as a member of DSA, you know, please check out DSA. Please join up with us and consider working with us. Um, but, you know, I think as long as comrades are getting involved, it's material outcomes uh, and changes to our community conditions that um, generate you know, meaningful symbols and that meaningful, better world that we want to seek. So I think everyone pitching in just a little bit can really go a long way in terms of organizing. And secondly, um, yeah, I, I want to encourage leftists to consider buying that new flag, uh, fly it proudly with um, some radical leftist messaging and, you know, just really just piss off the local conservative establishment. Um, uh, yeah. So thanks again for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, let's do that. I appreciate your time. Shane, and uh, yeah, thanks again for speaking with me. Of course. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. And that is our interview. Thanks again so much for listening. We appreciate every one of our listeners. We also have been out on the streets with a free book table and hope you will stop by our Socialist News and Views free book table if you see us out tabling at events in the future. Solidarity.
just to stay alive. 